0: Burning Questions, proudly brought to you by a bunch of us. Burning Questions, topic, command and control.
1: Kia ora everybody, Mark Warihana, former employee, Fire Emergency New Zealand, also spent a stint at uh, Rotorua uh, at the training centre delivering officer management, command and control, so I love command and control.
2: Kia ora, Corey Matchett, group manager Whangarei, Northland, also involved heavily in uh, officer training and volunteer officer training as well. Give me a synopsis on fire and emergency command and control.
1: What is it? It's a manual. No, so that's what everyone gets confused with. Yeah, they get they get bogged down in the detail uh, when they when they transition from senior firefighter to a station officer. Yeah, and it's the biggest leap um, any of us take in our careers with fire and emergency. Or, um, it's the change in mindset from doing to uh, leading and commanding and controlling assets and resources. So, uh, yeah, it's it's how we uh, structure and the process we use at every type of incident um, that we go to. It's governed by our legislation. We we have operating procedures. We have equipment, and and so it's a that it's, command and control is the that collective process of how we do that. And it's, yeah, it's, it's, it can be really daunting to start off with. You know, if you, you first sit in the hot seat, all of a sudden you've got to remember all this stuff. Some of the most stressful moments in your career is, you know, whooping off to your the training centre or going to do your first officer courses and getting thrown in the front and having to go and, and sort of display that skill and ability. And I guess that's why we're here to talk about what that process is.
2: Yes, command and control to me is... It's, that's our bread and butter. This is this is the part of our job where we are out there doing it in the community. It's where you hold the lives of the people you manage or lead in your hands, the decisions you make. So, from, so, so command and control is the area where I put a lot of my effort into because that is the part where life is at risk.
0: So talk to me about who's responsible in an incident. Where does the responsibility lie? So volunteer world, it could be a firefighter's in charge of the truck, senior firefighter, just depends on who turned up to the call and then how does that grow and
2: escalate? So very simply for me, it is the most qualified person on scene. If that is a station officer and there's a senior firefighter who's first on scene, the, staff, the station officer is in charge of that incident. And if a SSO or deputy chief or chief officer turns up, if they are the most qualified person, they are in charge.
0: We talk about... Um, agency action plans or incident management process. What's your incident management process?
1: I break the incident management process kind of down to four or five basic steps, okay? So first we have to figure out what have we got, okay? And if we think about what have we got, From the time we get the page to turn out to the station and we get to the station and we look on the pager and we find out where the location is, what we're going to, that kickstarts our thought process and what have we got. And on arrival, we might start to see smoke in the horizon. We might start to see backed up traffic and we're starting to gather all this information to start you know, the process of making a plan. When we get there, we just have to do an effective 360. We have to question the people there. Also, all that information is like situational awareness, but it's really, what have I got? And that then determines what factors I have to deal with to create a strategy. And that strategy is the second part of my process. The strategy is now, what, what do I want to achieve? I get to an incident and there's a house on fire and someone, granddad's inside. Those are the two factors that I have to deal with. My strategy then has to relate to those factors. So then I have to rescue granddad and I have to extinguish the fire. Which leads into the third part is the how. How am I going to achieve it? Okay. So then that's that understanding by understanding. you know, going into the command and control manual, learning tactics, piecing together all those skills you gathered from the first day you recruit up to a senior firefighter. So understanding what an interior attack looks like. Understanding what internal cutoff or search and rescue um, all these things. So those are the how. How are we gonna how are we going to achieve what we what we want to achieve? How are we going to rescue granddad and how are we going to put the fire out? And the last part of the process is the who. Okay, who's going to do that? Now, you may be limited to the resources. You might live in a rural rural district where no one else is coming. So that who, then actually, when you think of it, who's going to do what first? And you go back through your tactics and then you start prioritizing. Uh, what have I got? What do I want to achieve? How am I going to achieve it? And who's going to do it? And we use those to flash terms like situational awareness, strategy, tactics, and taskings. So that's, a, that's how I look at the
2: process. Can you put uh, those four tactics into a job? Well, if, if I look at it, my first part of that um, process is in, in, information gathering. Let's say we're going to a house fire. My information gathering begins as soon as the pager goes off. I look who's in the truck with me, who's my number one and two. So what's their skill level? who's my driver so all those tech things i'm looking at straight away that's to help me determine how far i can go or how much risk i can play with or how much risk i can put my uh, crew into uh, and then information gathering once again where's the call have we been there before um, is it reticulated so all that information gathering is starting straight away as as soon as that pager goes off time of day what's the weather what's the weather doing all those things take into consideration On the way there, what do I see? Is there black smoke? Is there any smoke at all? The location of the fire? Have we had a lot of fires there in the past? So there's a lot of information that's being thrown at you pretty much straight away. On scene, when you arrive, once again, you're looking. What do you see? What do you smell? What do you hear? Who do I need to talk to? Are there two trucks here, or is it just my truck? What can I do with the resources that I have? Is it just going to be defensive, or do I have the resources to do offensive attack? So once again, you get out of the truck and then you start gathering more information, talking to people. Your 360, begin your 360, if you can't do it, you get your other officer to do it for you. And then you carry on with the information gathering. And like Mark said, that's when you're deciding on your strategy and tactics. What do I want to achieve? How am I going to do it? So I look at my tactics. So for me, strategy is pretty much recchio, risk to life, and exposures contain. So I look at that, those three first. What's the risk to life first? Do I need to save life? What's the risk to my people? And then, okay, there is no risk. How do I protect exposures? So I start looking at what I'm going to do first. And then I run risk assessment on my tactics. What's the risk to my people if I carry out this tactic? If the risk is there, what can I? What steps can I put it to mitigate those risks? And once I'm happy with that, then I'll task my people. Once I do the tasking, then I stand back and decide on what resources I need. Do I need more trucks? Do I need power? Do I need counsel? So you're looking at the whole package. What do I need to help me put this fire out? It's continuously reassessing the situation over and over again.
0: We have a terminology, Rekio. You brought up Rekio before. Mark, can you put Reccio into a job that you've been to and discuss how you used Reccio?
1: Oh yeah, in the very last house fire I went to as a senior station officer. Yep, we get to the house and go grab some information. The people aren't home, um, they've gone. And so then I've got all of, you know, when I did my size up, also I really have is a half a house on fire. Okay, so is there a risk to life? No, there's no risk to life. So what is my next priority? I gotta make sure exposures. Is the house house that's on fire gonna catch the, the, the neighbor's house on fire? No, it's not. So, I can I, then I go into the contain, can I contain this fire to where it is, can I contain it to the fire cell, and then that became my priority, try to contain it, so then I chose a tactic, you know, uh, interior cut off, to cut the fire off, so it didn't spread down to the further, further down the house, large wooden house, fully involved at one end, I could save that one side of the house, so then that really dictated, you know, what my strategy and tactics and taskings were. You know, my strategy was to protect protect the uh, the rest of the unburned house. You know, my tactics my tactics were interior cut off. My taskings were two BA crews. You know, two BA crews to go in there, one to cut cut it off so it didn't go any further, and another to extinguish it. Nice and easy to understand those in that context because our command and control manual is written in a structure fire manner. Yeah. So, well, you know, what do we see? Uh, what do I want to achieve? How do I how do I do it? Now, that process has to be taken into everything we do, whether we go to a car crash, and we prioritize life, you know, exposures, all those sort of things. And in that context, if we go to a hazardous substance ex- uh, hazardous substance incident, you know, if we go to a medical, I still have to look at those principles because that's the the process that I'm I'm trying to figure out. I need to find out what I'm doing, come up with a plan. Implement some tactics and start tasking it. And it doesn't matter if it's a little rubbish bin on fire or if it's a two and a half thousand hectare fire up north, it's the same thing. But yeah, And that's that continual reviewing. And like Corey said, that's the art. It sounds simple as well, but there's a lot of things going on. When you're sitting in the truck you can't just be thinking about, okay I need to do information gathering. Because you've got a crew to task. And with experience, when, when Corey and myself turn up to an we know what equipment we're going to use. So we might start pre-deploying equipment before we even know what's going to happen. If There's a house on fire. I know I'm going to need some deliveries and my crews are going to be in BA. Number one, number two, grab your BA, grab a low-pressure delivery. You've made that choice. um, And meet me at the door. Don't go in. I'm going to go and do a size up and then I'll task you from there. You might go around and redeploy them or you might stick with that initial plan. But that's, that's the, you know, you, as you get better at it and as you become a better commander, you start feeling more conf- confident to do those things. If you've established resources and you need to redeploy, yeah, that, that's part of your plan. But that's, that's, why, that's why it's an awesome job because it's a, it's, a, it's a massive Rubik's Cube. You're, you're, you're solving it on the go with ever-changing, sort of, ever-changing things that are happening on the fireground.
2: ground. More information coming, on, coming to you as, as it sort of goes forward. Yeah, exactly, because the process doesn't change. process is always the yep. same, strategy and tactics will change.
0: So just talking about uh, safety officers, understanding when and where we should use safety officers. At the moment in the SOPs, it's kind of like 16 or more unusual events. Where else and how else should we be using our safety officers and what powers
1: do they have? The safety officer is effectively another set of eyes and ears for the, the incident controller to make sure that they're picking up hazards obviously, that they're reviewing your tactics through dynamic risk assessment, but also making sure uh, procedures are followed. They might be going to check on BA procedure. They might be making sure that PPE is being worn by the staff. Um, when and where yep that's followed that's dictated by the command and control manual and you need to know when and where uh, it is 16 or more it is when OIC deems to if it's an unusual circumstances they're there because it's an unusual event or the officer may need another set of eyes and ears it's something that you should think about early it's something that you should think about um, tasking earlier than we normally do, we tend to task, think about it as that third or fourth arriving officer, but yeah it's it's a skill and actually seeing that you need to trust the person that has experience to pick up those uh, things that, that the officer m- might not have seen
2: Like I said, there's a criteria but as the officer in charge, if you think you need one you put one in, like Mark said, it's a second pair of eyes that's doing a job for you and 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 the most important job, looking after the safety of our people you know, and that person does need to be trained. They do need to have experience in command and control. They need to have an understanding of what the incident controller is trying to achieve and how they're going to achieve that. Um, as you know, the safety officer has a lot of power on the fire ground. They have the ability to shut the fire ground down if they think it's unsafe. So you need to have the experience and training behind you to make that decision. But a safety officer, is, it's, it's that safety net at a call, very important.
1: And there's good there's good resources now for them. You know, we've got our safety officer pack, actually knowing what the documentation is there. So if you're an officer or someone who could be appointed as a safety officer, understand what it is, where it is, you know, where the packet is, you know, what the jerkin looks like, and then, then your roles and responsibilities. All that stuff's in your red book as an officer. So when you're tasking, if I'm tasking you, Kerrigan, to be the safety officer, I get my book out and I task you. Do you understand your role? Because yeah, you'd be really clear on the expectations for that person taking that role. Because it, like Corey said, it's an important, important role to keep our people safe, and that's paramount. We don't want to injure our people, so that's why we have it. And there is a
0: liability.
1: Yeah, yeah. And there is and more a responsibility. Yeah, yeah. Always think of it as that's your responsibility is to keep your keep your people safe. The, you know, we all go home at the end of the day.
0: Before we were talking about going to an incident, your own personal opinions. How do you stay calm? How do you handle your emotions, your excitement, your adrenaline? You know, how do you guys manage yourself when you're going to a job?
2: For me, it probably was my first job riding up as an officer. I was going to a suicidal person, threatening to burn down a house. First time that I've ever ridden up in charge. And for me, I was thinking about expectations about how I would expect an officer to act. You know, keeping calm, having that command presence doesn't mean the inside wasn't going 100 miles an hour but it's knowing that if you look like you're panicking if you look like if someone's always watching you the guys are watching you and they feed off your energy so that's why it's very important to stay calm the inside might be going 100 miles an hour the brain's ticking over quick but having that calm demeanor where people will follow you because they will feed off your energy and it's knowing that and once again just following that process right concentrate what do i need to do Alright, I I need to gather information. I need to go on the FICOM, what's happening? Asking the guys around me, getting information from them. Just trying to calm me down by following a process. And then when you get to the incident, same again. Keeping calm, just follow their process. Right, what do I need to do? Get out, start talking to people. What do I see? What can I hear? Gather the information. And then you start flowing into, you know, your your training kicks in. Right, strategy now. What's my strategy? Tactics. Risk assessment, tasking, it just flows once you get that confidence and once you follow that process and that's what keeps you calm. When you lose the way, when you lose the process, when you start reacting, when you start um, doing things off the cuff is when you start getting lost and then the panic sets in when things start going wrong and then people will watch you. So for me as was always, I've got to act like this so my firefighters can have confidence in me. That command presence. And we talk about command presence a lot on fire ground. They're keeping calm, they're having that calm voice, authoritative but not loud, being properly dressed, having your jerk in your helmet on, looking the part, just being that authoritative presence on scene.
1: It's normal to feel stressed, you know. It, like Corey said, it's, it's, it's something different for your brain to process. And if you think about it, if you think about it in a neuroscience concept, if it's really unusual or if it's really stressful, your brain is going to do some funny things, okay? It's gonna go into a fight and flight mode. Um, We we have a term in in the organization here, people put the cabbage on. It's normal to feel stressed. Now, how can we overcome that? How can we work through that? And we work through that through our training, okay? And the way we do it is we hardwire some of the things we think about. We hardwire our questioning process. You know, some people have a a way they ask questions. They have mnemonics they follow. They'll ask about people. They'll ask about the fire. They'll ask about alerts or hazards. And they'll be very systematic. So when your brain is stressed and it's not thinking because uh, the front of your brain that makes all the decision making's turned off and gone into a fight and flight mode, your hard wiring will kick in. And that's where you practice Horlet. So when you put a message in, you're not having to overthink it. It rattles off the tongue. It's a single-story residential dwelling. If you just learn that, that's half of your message gone. It's hardwiring it. If you hardwire some of your taskings, number one, number two, don and start BA, grab this delivery, meet me at the door, don't do anything or go anywhere until I give you any further tasking. Do you understand? Yes. And if you start doing that in a training, and the way we we hardwire is through training and repetition, then we're sort of halfway there. And then we can use whatever capacity we have here for our decision making. Couple of big breaths, special forces do it. Anyone in high stress situations use box breathing. Couple of big breaths can actually clear the mind. Actually taking a big step back and actually viewing it, you'll actually get a wider wider approach of what's happening. Don't get stuck in, don't put your head in the window of the car, don't go to the front door. Stand back so you can see everything. You would be that conductor in the orchestra. You know, I'm conducting the pump operator, I'm conducting my crews and, and then I've hardwired some um, handovers, we train and we use CAN reports and if I've hardwired that you come onto the scene, the conditions are we have a fire in this house and someone missing my actions are, I'm searching for the person missing in the bedroom I need you to extinguish the fire I'm going to make you sector the fire attack and if you lock in and you practice saying it you'll get better at it. And then the more calm you are, the more function you have at the front of your head. It's about, yeah, making good decisions. Mm. And the more you go to it, the more you normalise it. And then it doesn't become that unfamiliar. So Corey, a year in as being an officer, would go to that that incident much more relaxed. I've seen this before. I know how to do with it. I know how to deal with it. And that's, that's why you become better and more calm in
2: situations. What you said there about slowing down. I always tell people, get to a core, Slow down. Take that two seconds to breathe, then act. Yeah, so we've been to a call. We've done a mahi. Now we're winding up,
0: knock off, makeup. We want to discuss the good and the bad of what, what we've done at the call.
1: How do you guys handle debriefs? I go straight to my red box to guide me, you know. And then I, I draw the debrief out of the people that were there. Not what I saw. I ask the people what they saw so that's the the art of the debrief is to pull out all those things that those your your crew saw number one what did i task you what did you do number two what did you do number three yep what did you do you you grab all that information from them if you stand up in front of them and tell tell them this is what happened this is what happened and then ask them they'll just repeat exactly what you said so involving all your people in the debrief all the other crews in the debrief what went well what didn't go well, what equipment we used, having a plan to get it sorted. But there's a really good guide in the back of your officer's handbook to run it. Stick to that process because then you're going to really figure out what you need to do when you get back to the station. If Are there any training requirements? And moving forward as an officer, you know things that you can reflect to make you better. How could I communicate better? What tactic did I use? Did it work? Didn't it work? So you're reflecting on what you did. But yeah, run the debrief like through the Red Book. It's it's there as a guide and it's an amazing tool to to for officers.
2: I always like to speak to the other officers from other brigades at the call just before everyone's heading home, have a quick chat, just a very light discussion how things went. And then depending on the call, whether I have a hot debrief on scene, you know, whether it was a bad accident where we just need to have that quick, quick chat and then a more in-depth debrief when we get back on station. And it is all about getting people to speak. Everyone speaks everyone has their input, everyone tells what they got from the call and what learning they think that they got from it and how as a team we can practice, do what needs to be done to make it better next time. So it's all about the input, not one person's, what they saw, what we all did as a team. So for the both of you, now that you've moved into different roles, if
0: you were to mentor someone, what advice would you give a new officer straight off the bat? What did you want to hear when you became an officer? What was the advice you were looking for?
2: That's a good question. If I look back on it, operationally it wasn't a concern because I believe that the training that I had and the experience I had was, was sound and I knew that time in the seat would, would do what it needed to be done to gain experience. It was more the managing of your peers, the managing of people on station and relationships with other officers. I think that's more the talk. The managing of people is probably w- what I needed when I first became an officer. Because managing your friends is hard.
1: I'd agree with Corey. You know, I'd stick to my three, pre- my three P principle. Okay? Know your people. You know, know their capabilities. You know, help help develop their capabilities. So it's people. Okay? The next thing I know, know your patch. Know what you could probably go to. If you've got a significant hazard, understand what that hazard is. If you've got a dairy company, understand what that is, the processes, where all your entry points are. Go and do some training there. And lastly, know your process. Stick to that process. What have I got? What do I want to achieve? How am I going to do it? Who's going to do it? And if you stick to that process at every small call, rubbish bin, fire, you know, tree on fire, if you stick to that process then, then at 3 o'clock in the morning when you're faced with a really difficult one, you'll stay on that process. Practice that process in training. Practice that process with your people. And then they'll, they'll have a really good understanding of what they expect from you as a, as a commander. You will also un- lock in that they what they will expect from you. Their briefings and all that. So yep, it's, it starts with people, your
2: patch, and then your process. And keep learning. It's very easy to become a stale. Can go off the boil, you can. You can, like Mark, you get into bad habits. If you keep learning, you keep you keep your skills updated. Keep reflecting on yourself after every call. Keep learning from every call. As soon as you stop that, you become stale. That's when people get hurt. Mr. Hanna, <laughs> Mr. Matchett, thank you for your wisdomous pearls.
0: <laughs> this is Burning Questions. Awesome. Cheers. Thank, Cheers. You. thank you. Cheers, brother. Burning Questions, proudly brought to you by a bunch of us.